Well, good morning. Welcome to Luminous. Come on, somebody. You're in a movie theater. It's good to be in a movie theater. Don't get too comfortable. Don't recline too much. But, man, we're glad you made it to church today. Shout out to my one of my good friends, Chase Jobert. Happy birthday, Chase. Man, it's amazing seeing you, bro, this morning, being able to just have you here. And I pray that you're celebrated well today. Hey, as we uh, get going this morning and already just what a great time of worship, right, church? That was incredible. It's an incredible time of worship. Go ahead and turn to your Bibles to John chapter 8. Thank you, Pastor Edgar. Sorry about them 49ers, man. I don't know. I don't know. So we're going to be we're going to be in uh, John chapter eight today. And we've been in the series called uh, Abide, entitled Abide. And really what it means to remain, remain in the Lord, remain in Christ. It's our it's our it's our duty. It's our obligation as Christ followers to abide in him and with him. And as they say, it's an obligation. It's also a privilege and an opportunity, isn't it? Uh, as we build with Jesus and build in his kingdom, there's this relational aspect, this relational component that happens. And John lets us in on the relational components to Jesus and the Father. And he invites us into a, a, a likewise relationship that we could also come and be with the Father and that we could sit with him and be with him. Today, uh, my hope and desire is to talk about the word sets us free. Everybody say free. free. Everybody say free like you're free. 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 Good job. Christ has come to set us free. The word has come to set us free. And this is really one of our essential values at Luminous Church. That the word would set us free. Freedom. This word freedom. What all it entails and encompasses, I hope that we touch on it just a little bit this morning so that we could see Jesus a little more clearly because our hope and desire when you come to Luminous Church is to help you see him. As, as one person said it is that we just want to live in the shadows of Christ. We, we want to live behind him and glorify him and make him famous. And, and as John the Baptist would say, I must decrease, meaning his mission, his platform, the attention, everything that John the Baptist was about must decrease so that Jesus could be lifted high, so that he could increase, increase in his ministry, Increase all the way up to his death on the cross. Increase through the resurrection. Increase as he's reigning and ruling from heaven that he must increase and you and I must decrease. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for you and that you're not involved in this great story. You are involved and he loves you. In fact, the, the, the only way that you can be anything is if he increases. Because he increased, you can become the greatest you that God has designed you to be. This is good news. This is what the Lord has for us. And uh, this has kind of been one of our theme verses that I want to read this morning in John 20, 31. As he's writing this gospel account, says, these signs, the things and the wonders and the miracles and the power and everything are written in John. It was written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, 
meaning the Messiah, the one who was prophesied, the one who was going to redeem and restore the kingdom in its fullness and allow us to have access. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that we would have life in his name, that we would truly live. You can't truly live unless you have experienced this freedom, unless you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good for you and he's made you good because of him. And when we get this epiphany, revelation, insight, uh, 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 fluttering in our hearts, whatever it may be for you, whenever you get that and get a hold of it, you know what it means to truly live. Now, speaking of birthdays like Chase, I'm going to be turning 40 next month, halfway to day. And, and, and at 40, I, I, I've been thinking and contemplating what this is all about. What does it mean to truly live? What does that mean? You see, I think every birthday is definitely a reflection of the year past. But when you hit the decade birthdays, you reflect on the past decade. And 40 is kind of like reflecting on all of life. And some of you know you've been there. You've been there. You, you, you wave your hand if you've been there. You know, you've been there. I see you, Pastor Edgar. You ancient. But, but nonetheless, I've been reflecting and, and just seeking what does this mean to truly live? What does it mean to live on his promises, live in the land of the living, to truly abide in him? We say this often, when I was a child, I used to do childish things. I used to act like a child, eat like a child, walk like a child. But when I matured in my faith, a walk, in my Christ, a walk, I put the childish ways behind me. And as I reflect at 40 and what it means to truly live, as John 20 is saying, I have come that you may have life eternally, life abundantly, that you would truly live and know me. Is there anything childish that I'm holding on to that's brought comfort in my life that I'm afraid to let go of? As I'm maturing and growing and and trying to be mature, and you are trying to be mature, whether you're in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, wherever you may find yourself this morning, are, are you reflecting on your life? Do I truly grasp this freedom? John chapter 8, I want to read this account. And this is a moment where the adulterous woman was just brought to Jesus. And he writes in the sand, revealing to the Pharisees a revelation enough for them to not stone her, but to walk away. And he goes and he tells this woman to sin no more. He talks about the light, which we're going to talk about this morning. And then he moves into this relational aspect with the Father. And I think it's insightful for us. I think it's something that we could dive into in verse 23. He said to them, you are from below and I am from above, talking to the Pharisees. You are of this world, and I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. 
Verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom, a word that has been expressed over the last few years and the last few decades and centuries and since time began, It seems like ever since the garden when we fell and chose sin rather than God, when we chose our way rather than his way, it seemed like we kept grasping for some sort of freedom. It's in us that we desire to be free, that we want this and we hope for it. And it almost seems like the delusions of grandeur, the delusions of freedom, You see, it's like the more you have, the more there's yet to gain. It seems like when you get something free, it's not truly free. How many know that's true? Or there's more freedom to be had. Like, for instance, getting some Spurs tickets free. And you get the free Spurs tickets. We got some free balcony Spurs tickets a couple weeks ago. And then I saw everybody going through the VIP entrance. And I realized... Wait, I think they got a little more freedom than me. Then one day I got the VIP entrance tickets. And then I saw the players going into the locker room. I go, oh, wait, they got a little more freedom than me. And we find that to be true in, in this nation and other nations is that, that when we gain and we get plenty and when we get promotion and when we get job and, and when we get more and more We realize that we're not really free at all. We owe more taxes. And when we think we owe the company, we're responsible to the shareholders. And it feels like it's a delusion of freedom that's running around. And I liken that to the Jews in this moment. The Pharisees is, there was this delusion of freedom. Where they thought that they were truly free, and it rose up all the way into their arrogant thinking. And sometimes that's what happens when you taste a little bit of freedom. You get a little large-headed. How many know that's true? You start getting puffed up. You start separating yourself. I must be better than them because I have some freedoms that they don't have. And this can happen to us. It's a trap that we can fall into. The Pharisees found themselves in the same trap. You see, they said that 
in this moment, they're responding to Jesus. They're saying, we've never been enslaved. But they have been puffed up so much and so disremoved that they forgot that they were enslaved for 400 years. You see what arrogant thinking does when you move into a place when you think that you can get your own freedom without the true freedom that Christ is talking about in this moment? It can move us to idolizing something that shouldn't be idolized in our life. To have allegiance to something that, that, that should, should, yes, be grateful for. I'm grateful for the space and being able to worship in public. I've been in China on mission trips where they were not able to worship like this. There are some things, some, some opportunities, some privileges, some, some forward things that have been paved way for us. There's been people who have died and, and blood that's been spilt for the things that we enjoy. And I, I know that, but, but what I'm talking about today is that there is this moment where we can get so caught up in our freedoms that we think we're good. Or you think you're good. But you might be missing it. For those who have been stuck in bondage and habitual sin. Those who have felt like they've been enslaved and enslaved and enslaved. And you've puffed yourself so much up so much you forget where you are Jesus is speaking of freedom in John chapter 8 and the thing about freedom it's attractive isn't it attractive like if I told you I have some free tickets to the Spurs game or to the 49ers game or to whatever it may be that so intrigues you you would be rushing up here if I said the first one up here gets them oh yeah Freedom, people flock to freedom. In 1886, uh, the, uh, France gave us a monument, Lady Liberty. Lady Liberty was sent to the United States, and there it was. It was put right there in New York in this flame of freedom. This is Chantal. This is my best friend right here. Flamme de la Liberté. The flame of freedom. The flame of freedom right here. And here she is holding it up. And it was a beacon to everybody out there. It was this time that, that people began to see it. And there was such this uh, electricity in the air. And I know that America was not perfect. We know that. We could, we could debate that and talk about that. But there was so much promise in the United States when the Statue of Liberty was up. When Lady Liberty held that up, you got to think this is, this is after the Civil War. This is, when, this is when freedom was realized more than it was before. It's when, when slaves were set free and it was in this moment of promise. It was in this moment where America afforded a lot of opportunity to a lot of people and millions of people looked at Lady Liberty and they started flocking in and you may remember Ellis Island right after that moment six years later they started getting millions of people for naturalization 
to become citizens of the United States. 12 million people over three decades or something like that coming over in boats into Ellis Island looking for opportunity, looking for hope, looking to get ahead, looking what might be possible. And I would argue that you and I are the same. Is when we see freedom, when we see it glowing and we see a beacon, we start to flock to it. And that's why Jesus says, I, in John 18, am the lights of the world. He is a greater liberator, isn't he? He is one who can bring more promise, more hope, more redemption, that he can come and he can move in wondrous ways over you and mine's life. And we've all been a recipient of that. Or we haven't yet. If I told you there was a man who came who could take away your sins, forgive you, and all the dead thinking that you have in your mind and depression that you have in your mind and anxiety you have in your mind and the fear that you have in your mind and the condition of your heart and your propensities to not please God and not please a holy God and you fall short over and over again. And I tell you, there's a man who can forgive you love you, accept you, embrace you, and change you from the inside out. That's liberty. It's freedom. It's freedom. Amen, church? Freedom is what, what Jesus has been saying here and this moment of us abiding us abiding in Christ and getting to know Jesus is more than just coming to church and more than coming to life group or discipleship group. It's actually being with him. The word abide is an experiential word. It's not a head knowledge word. It's experiential. It means that when you abide in that place, you are bound by the conditions of what you abide in. If you abide in fear, you're bound by fear. If you abide in grace, you abound in grace. And, and this, is, this is what happened to a West Texas boy. See, I abided in Midland, Texas. Amen? Coy, amen? I abided in West Texas, Midland, Odessa, and a Midland, Odessa boy, he, he knows the culture because when you abide somewhere, you know the culture. I can talk to you about cowboys and oil. I can pack a can of snuff. I can, I can, I know what boots are. I know what cowboy hats are. I know what big trucks are. I know how to talk slang in the West Texas mentality. I know that West Texas men don't mess with them or don't cross them because there will be a fight. And it won't just be them. There's going to be more coming with them. And you don't want to fight them anyway because they're all packing, right? They all have guns. They have one on their hip, one on their ankle. Most times, some people have two guns. And if they have two guns on their body, they also have a couple guns in their trucks. Amen. <laughs> a West Texas boy can tell you, because I've abided there, I've lived there, I can tell you about the culture, I can tell you about the weather, I can tell you about how it is dry and you need chapstick and lotion and it's what keeps, it, what keeps birds beeswax in business. It, it, it's it's I could tell you about the skies. 
because the land is so flat, you actually see the sun set and the skies are so massive, it feels like you're in glory. I can tell you about the night skies that are lit up with the stars and the stillness of the cold, dry nights where it feels like you can hear anything. And when you're in that place and you're worshiping and meeting with Jesus, it feels like he's right there. Somebody who abides can tell you about the place they abide in. So realizing our freedom, realizing what Christ has done for us, realizing who he is and this glimpse of him and the father and this intimacy. And he's talking about how he abides with the father and you and I can likewise abide with the father. When we're with him, we can describe it. We can explain it. We can tell you the fragrance of heaven. We could tell you what it looks like, what he sounds like. We could tell you the feeling that we get and receive when we're abiding in Christ. It's a great place to be. It's where he has called us to be. This is what he wants for us. And when we're abiding, we find that his word is guiding us. It's directing us. It preserves our life. It comforts us. It makes us wise. It's a lamp into our feet. It's the joy in our hearts as the psalmist pens in 119. When we abide, we we truly can describe him and what it's like to be with him. It's a great place to be. And Jesus' version of truth and freedom is is a, a different Level and quality, as we see here in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus, he, he gives the characteristics of truth and the response to truth. Where Jesus shows the contrast of what the Pharisees are speaking and what he's speaking. Let's look at that. The characteristic of truth right here, there's three I want to give you that we see in this verse. Truth is heavenly. As 23 says, he says, I'm from below and am far above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. The truth of Jesus that sets us free is one that is heavenly and is above and not one that is earthly and below. The second thing that we see is we see that relating versus reasoning that Jesus demonstrates in this moment what a relationship with the father is all about what does it look like to have a relationship with god what does it look like to have a conversation he says that the father sent jesus in verse 18 i'm the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me this relationship i bear witness about myself, but there's a father who bears witness about me, and that is a relational aspect that we have here. We also see that the father teaches Jesus. He teaches him. When you have lifted up the son of man, verse 28, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. Verse 29, the father is with Jesus. And Jesus does what is pleasing to the Father. There's a relational aspect to that. 
liken it to an earthly father or a mentor or a friend. There's this aspect of I want to please them. I want to walk with them. I want to learn from them. I want to be with them. And as he's sending him, I am sent by him. Not just my own accord. But the Pharisees are all about reasoning. And sometimes we get into our reasoning when it comes to freedom. We get into our, we, we try to explain it the way we want to explain it, right? So the Pharisees, however, took the approach of reasoning, where, where is your father, they asked. Where is he? Verse 22, will he kill himself since he says, where am I going? You cannot come. Verse 20, 25 says, who are you? And Jesus in John chapter 8 was saying these exact things. Is, did you miss it? I just told you who I am. I am of the Father. My Father has taught me. My Father has sent me. I've been with him, but now I'm here because I'm here to set people free. I am a display of the Father on earth. I'm a display of who he is third thing we see is son versus slave son versus slave that jesus talks about sonship and this is important i don't want you to miss this sonship is is the best inheritance that we can have to be sons but he's saying you in your sin you in your wrongdoing you in all your misguided ways your misleading ways are a slave to sin but i've come so that you may become a son so there's a response to this truth what do we do about it what do we do about this true flame of liberty the first thing we need to do is we need to accept it everybody say accept many believed in him the first response to truth is to believe and accept they believed in him they believed despite the evident opposition of all the religious leaders around him. They believed in him despite all the reasoning. Well, we don't see your father. Well, we don't know that. Go ahead and show us. Give us more proof, more reasoning. Go ahead and give us more apologetics. Go ahead and give us more and more and more. And what happens with those who are coming to Christ is what Julia said today is faith is a verb. It's an action. It's a step. It's not enough knowing and reading and all that to, to, to have this, this noun or this tangible faith. It's a verb of action and stepping on what's been told to you, of what you've experienced. As you experience him in the quiet place, in these times. The second thing you have to do is you have to act. Everybody say act. Gnosko, the Greek word here is when you experientially learn something. You experientially learn it. Knowledge possessed through intellectual process of learning is one thing, but experience is an active relationship between the one who knows and or, and or the thing known. It is far superior to the former to experience him. When you move in this place of act, acting and you move in this place of accepting, 
accepting him, you move into this action steps of I want to experience him. And I think sometimes in church, we just sit in a row in our comfy theater chairs, which I love. But we move little to action. We learned a lot cognitively. We, we learned, okay, that's a great account of John 8. That's a great account of Jesus and the Father. It's a great account of knowing that that freedom is a beacon of hope for people. And what greater beacon of hope than Jesus? I cognitively am processing what you're saying, but there's another place of acting and moving in action, of moving what we know into faith. You see, when I became a youth pastor, and before that moment, God started revealing himself to me, and I started having some, some cognitive behaviors and agreements with what God was doing. I started learning about him, and then I just said, man, you know what? I want to be with him. And so I started spending time with him, and I started reading my Bible daily. And at the age of 40, I'd say almost every day I've read my Bible for the last 20 years. And I don't regret any of it because when I'm reading, I'm abiding. When I'm reading, I'm getting to know him. I get to cherish him and I'm journaling and I'm spending time with him. And in this action, I'm also compelled to disciple. I remember Matthew 28, 18 through 20 that was first spoken to me. Go therefore you, me, those in the church, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Meaning, meaning this, go tell people about Christ. And when they respond, baptize them. And after they're baptized, teach them, disciple them, build them up in the word, show them how to pray, show them how to fast, show them how to have solitude, show them how to read their Bible, show them how to journal, show them what it means to truly abide. See, you've been there, Ben Chapman. Now it's time for you to move to a place so that others can be there as well. And when I started discipling youth and I started moving this action, I found that this freedom that Christ talks about became more realized, more realized. Started meeting with students and loving them and believing for them. And I started moving in this way. I started asking this question when I read verses and I started asking my, those who would meet in a small group or discipleship setting, I would ask them these questions. It's great what we just read, but could we ask the Holy Spirit, what kind of action does he want us to take from what we just read? Is there something that he wants us to know more deeply or is there something he wants us to do more intentionally? What do you want me to know, Jesus? from Psalm 119. What do you want me to know? That your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. How would you want me to walk this week so that it illuminates in such a way that people know you and love you? What are those steps? What are those moves? This is what the Lord is asking of us. And we move in this place, lastly, where we abide. They accept. They move in action. 
And they move into this abiding and abiding in his word. The whole idea that it's relationship over religion. It's a relationship over religion. In Acts, when you follow Jesus, you said that you were a part of the way. The way. It was this place that you identified with as the way that you're moving, but also the way to truth, the way to life, and life to the full. I'm part of the way. I'm not Baptist, I'm not Catholic, I'm not Presbyterian, I'm not non-denominational, I'm not, I'm not all the list. I'm part of the way. And where he goes, I'll go. As he leads, I will follow. This is what God has asked for us to do. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your head and closing your eyes for response this morning. I believe every time we meet on a Sunday morning, there are a few people in this room who live in all these different categories. And I'm not trying to categorize you in in this or that, but I'm trying to get you to a place of, are you going the way? Are you a part of Christ's way? If you don't know him, you've never spent time with him, you don't really know what it means to abide, the first thing you have to do is you have to repent and let go of something. For the truth to set you free, it's to know him. So you have to move to this place of repenting. A posture from reasoning to humility. A posture from thinking you've already figured life out to realizing I don't have anything figured out apart from Christ. So you say, I'm sorry, God, for trying to be so arrogant that I think I know what's best. And I surrender my life to you. I confess that I've been in habitual sin and I repent of it. And I choose you this day to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to reign in my life so I can go your way. The second column, group, segment of people, those who believe in God. And to encourage you to keep believing. As great as it is as somebody's repenting and moving towards Christ, there's a process of us keep believing. Keep believing in Christ. Keep believing that he's raised from the dead. Keep going. Hold on to that freedom that is so yours that's been paid for. It's a continual life that we live in. So for you, maybe it's I need to keep believing. I need to, I need to start going where he's called me to go. 
And the third group is this, maybe you just need a friend. When you have a realized accountability and a realized revelation of who you are in Christ and, and you just need a friend to help you, to help come alongside of you. And for you, maybe you need a life group. Maybe you need a discipleship group. Maybe you need to tap somebody on the shoulder in this place this morning. Say, I want to walk in the way. I want to walk free. I want to walk free. If you want to know God, know Jesus. When you know Jesus, you know God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you this morning. We're so grateful that we could abide. Abide in you, abide in your truth, abide in who you are and what you do. Jesus, I'm so thankful for liberty. Thankful for true liberty that will outlive the next 40 years of mine. I thank you for true liberty that is going to really set us free. And I thank you that eternity can be grasped now, that we can abound now when we abide with you. Help us. We love you this morning. God, it's a great joy to be your son, to be your daughter. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what an amazing word today.